We're talking about com- contentment today, and contentment would not be hearing uh, Josh and Clayton sing a lot. We're in Philippians chapter 4, and I want to begin with a question to you this morning. Are you content? Are, are you content? Really and truly, are you content? Now, Paul, who God's using to write this letter, he is, uh, he's in Rome in prison under house arrest. We believe he's probably chained to a praetorium guard. That's kind of the green beret of the Roman soldiers. 24-7, he has a guard chained to him. And he's talking about being satisfied and being content and at peace in his life. He's writing to the church in Philippi, and these Christians are beginning to suffer persecution. It's a, lo- a young church. They've, they've been a church for 10 years. They're starting to get hammered simply because they're Christians and because of their faith. And he's talking to them about being content. Verse 11, it begins, it says, Not that I was ever in need, for I have learned how to be content what, with whatever it is I have. The word content means to be satisfied. It means in, in the, the ancient uh, language to be self-satisfied or to be at peace. And we're going to understand that self-satisfaction more in a moment. Webster's defines contentment as being at peace. It's a, it's a state of, of, of being undisturbed and at peace uh, in your heart. And in your mind. And I, I would ask you this morning, are you really content? Are you, uh, you here this morning, are you, uh, are you at peace? I love what one Greek scholar, a guy named Dr. Joe Thayer said, that, that the biblical contentment is an inside job. It's that satisfaction in your heart that no one else or nothing else can bring you. It's something that you find inside. We're going to see how you find it inside in just a moment. And, and again, I would ask you, are you? content. Several years ago, there was some massive surveys done across the globe, and they asked people about happiness and contentment. This is several years old, but I guarantee you it's not changed. It's not, it's not gone down any. In America, in America, 45% of Americans say they are not content with their life. They're not satisfied. Now, I'm not talking about that healthy discontent. We want to go out and win the next game and, and do better or make better grades. I'm talking just not satisfied with their life. And a lot of times we hear... Uh, a segment of Americans hold up France as kind of a utopia. There's not a lot of religion there. It's, it's freedom. It's uh, uh, a type of socialism where everybody's just, it's just wonderful. 86% of people in France said they are not satisfied or content. So something must be wrong there. So I would ask you this morning, are you content? Really and truly. And here's, here's the, I think, that the fundamental part of the problem for every one of us, if you're not a Christian or if you are a Christian, because a lot of you in here this morning truly are Christians, but you're not satisfied. You're no, you don't sleep well. You're not content at life. So l- let me give you the fundamental problem. We're looking for contentment in the wrong places. We're trying to satisfy that deep spot in our heart and soul the wrong ways, the wrong ways. I'm going to list you four things, and and these are not exhaustive. I mean, there could be a list of ten things, but we're going to limit it to four because I think these are so true. But let's look at verse 11 and 12. Not that I was ever in need, for I've learned how to be content with whatever I have. I know how to live on almost nothing. I know how to live with everything. I've learned the secret of living in every situation, whether it's with a full stomach aren't empty with plenty or little. And we will go through those verses in detail in just a moment. Where are you looking for contentment? Let me give you these places. One is money. Are you looking for it in money? 
Now, the, the, the first two things I'm going to mention, no one ever, especially in church, is going to say, absolutely, I'm looking for happiness and peace of mind and satisfaction in money. But the truth is, we absolutely are. Because we think if we just have more money, we would be satisfied. Folks, Ruston is a wonderfully unusual city. I, I saw this, this was a year or two ago, and they were talking about in the state of Louisiana, Ruston has more millionaires than any other city per capita in the state. Isn't that cool? Just none of them, I don't know any of them, none of them go to my church. That's what's weird. But we got a lot of rich people in Ruston. Here's the other side of this. Our poverty rate is way above the national average in Ruston. That's weird, isn't it? In other words, we got people with a lot of money, and we got people who don't have hardly anything at all. Now, I'm going to tell you, I believe this is true. If you found the poorest people in town, and you found the richest people in town, and you ask them, would you want more money? Both groups are going to say, absolutely, yes. See, we don't say this, but we believe it. And I I would like to experiment. Wouldn't you like to experiment for five years, just have a billion dollars to see if it would satisfy you? Wouldn't you like that, just to see if it would? But money's not going to meet your need. Now, money in itself is not evil. But 1 Timothy chapter 6, it says the love of money, when people start chasing after money and pursuing money, when people start thinking money's what's going to satisfy their soul and going after it, that is a root of all kinds of evils and trouble. Folks, money in itself is not evil, but I'm telling you, not as one who has money, but as one who's seen people who have money, money is not going to satisfy the deepest part of your soul. Here's the second thing, material things. These are cousins. And again, you're not going to ever hear a good church person say, boy, if I just had more stuff, I'd be happy. But man, that's how we live our lives. If I just had more things, more toys. Did you know that that when when you shop, that shopping actually Especially, I think, for women, I can't prove this gender-wise, but there has to be some proof to it, that it releases endorphins in your brain when you make a purchase and it makes you happy. My wife's shaking her head, I guarantee you. We drive by the mall. She begins to glow. I begin to have a panic attack. But it does. I love books. And when, when, I, when I buy books or when I order books on Amazon, I get pumped up. And then they come in and I'm all excited. And then two days into it, they're, one or two of them are not very good, but I'm OCD, so I have to read them anyway. And, and that's short-lived. It's like I said a few weeks ago. This, I got more comments on this than anything else I think I've ever had preaching. I said, go home and eat a bowl of ice cream. It'll make you feel better. It does, temporarily. And then you weigh, and the, the high comes down, and then you're fatter, and you, the sugar low, and all that. But shopping makes you feel good temporarily, and, and, and that's what material things do. Evander Holyfield was a heavyweight boxing champion several years back. By all accounts, this is a really good gentleman, a Christian and a good man. Towards the end of his career, he lived in a 54,000-square-foot house. How many of you know where I live, seen my house? It's bigger than my house, like by 52,000 square feet. 54,000 square. Put it this way, it's a lot bigger than this sanctuary and this education building put together, okay? Indoor, outdoor swimming pool. He had a stable of horses worth millions of dollars. His last five fights, he made $92 million. Can you say tithe? I mean, think about $92 million. 
But after he had lost his championship, he continued to box. And someone asked him, why are you still fighting? I mean, it's not good for your head. You don't have anything else to prove. He didn't say, I love to box. He didn't say, I, I want to keep being an athlete. Here's what he said, I'm just bored. He had $92 million in a 54,000-square-foot house, and you're bored? Patricia Dalton is a psychologist, and she said, Americans... We have become consumed with consuming things. And she said, it's not just at the holidays anymore. We feel like we have to have, we have to have, we have to have. And she said, what she's seeing in her clients is that they're never learning that, that stuff is going to make you content. I mentioned a survey a few years ago. You look at America. America probably, if you put all these things together in the world, highest Money per capita, we got more toys per capita, probably the highest education rate. When you put all these things together, we would probably be number one. But on a worldwide level, we ranked 33 in happiness. 33 countries, but people interviewed were happier and more content. You see, there's nothing wrong with stuff as long as you don't fall in love with stuff. But if you think having these things are going to satisfy the deep spot in your heart, they're just not going to do it. Here's the third thing, and it's much more subtle. That's human relationships. You see, some people would not chase money. Some people aren't going to chase toys. Some people just think, man, if I can be friends with so-and-so, if I can be connected with that person, if I could just be dating, you young people, you, you don't get in the trap that you're going to be happy and content when you have a boyfriend or girlfriend. You've got to learn to be happy without them before you're going to be, ever be happy with them. And I'm, I'm, unfortunately now, I'm old enough, I've seen people who get married, get divorced, get married, get divorced, get married, get divorced, because if they just had that spouse, they would be happy. And what they find out, that, that, that that's not true. Folks, people are the second most important thing in the world after Jesus Christ. But if you are looking for a person to satisfy and bring contentment into your heart, you know what? You are going to die discontented. That's not what pe- people aren't meant to do that any more than a television or a $100 bill is. If you're looking for it in human relationships, that's not going to happen either. Here's the fourth thing I think in America. That's accomplishments. Man, if I could just, if I could just get a doctor's degree or graduate high school or get a master's degree, if I could just win or, or make the team. Listen, before he became a Christian, here's Paul's accomplishments. He probably had the equivalent of two PhDs. He had a lot of money because he was a Pharisee. He was an important religious leader. He was super accomplished, super intelligent. He was the guy that, was, that, that won the award most likely to win an argument in a discipleship class. I mean, this guy, he was on top of his game, but he was a mean, murdering person. He was not a, a kind person at all. And, and, and listen, man, it's great to want to accomplish things. But if you think because you get to the top of your field or you get the the number one award, you think that that's going to satisfy you, it's just not. Urban Meyer coaches at Ohio State. And unfortunately, Ohio State played my wife's favorite team, Nebraska, last night, and they spanked them. But anyway, getting back to uh, for my wife's morning. Urban Meyer was the coach at Florida before he went to Ohio State. He won two national championships. He was the coach of Tim Tebow. Tim Tim Tebow won the Heisman Trophy, the highest award that a college athlete, uh, football player, can win. 
Yet while he's at Florida, in the midst of tremendous success, one night he has to go to the hospital. He's in his 40s. Thinks he's having a heart attack. It's not a heart attack. It's a panic attack. And as they begin to unpack these things, he coached another year. Then he had to take a year off. Urban Meyer said, I could not sleep at night. He he was taking one Ambium. Ambium's a sleeping pill. Then he was taking two Ambium. Then he was taking two Ambium and taking them with beer to try to help him sleep. And he said he was sleeping two or three hours a night. Man, this guy was accomplished beyond accomplished in his field of athletics. But here's what he said. That was not satisfying the deep spot in his life. Jim Carrey is a funny guy and an actor, and that's a pretty funny picture of Jim Carrey right there, too. This year, Jim Carrey was presenting award at the Golden Globe uh, Awards. That's a television and movie awards. He was presenting it for the best motion picture and comedy, and as he got up before he presented the award, listen to what he said. He said, you know, when I go to sleep at night, I'm just not a guy going to sleep. I'm Jim Carrey, the two-time Golden Globe winner. And I'm going to get some well-needed shut-eye, I hope. And when I dream, I don't just dream any old dream. No, sir, I dream about being a three-time Golden Globe winning actor, Jim Carrey. Because see, right now, right there, that sounds good. He's wanting to be better. That's good. But listen to what he says. Because then if I could win that third one, then it would be enough and I'd be satisfied. It would finally be true that I was a success and I could finally stop this terrible search for what I know ultimately will not fulfill my heart. They pan the audience of actors and actresses and they notice that they laughed with an uneasy laugh because they knew how true it was that no matter how accomplished you are, that's not going to meet the deepest needs in your life. Elvis Presley may embody these things to a T. Back in 2007, we had Elvis's stepbrother, Rick Stanley come and speak on Sunday morning and Sunday night and then to the youth. And he was tremendous. And and getting to spend a little time around him, you realize what a wonderful person Elvis Presley really was. And and it really doesn't matter how old or young you are, everybody's heard of Elvis because of how famous he was. He's been dead a long time. Rick said that Elvis was like a modern-day King Solomon. If you don't know what that means, it, it means Elvis Presley had everything and anything. He was the most accomplished person uh, of his generation. He had money, 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 money. In fact, a lady told me after the first service, she had worked at Delta Airlines in Atlanta and that Elvis had bought a plane from them and had put everything inside the plane. He, uh, instead of just having plastic and stuff like that, it was gold. Everything in there was gold inside of his plane. Money, money, money. Apparently, he was a, Rick thought he was a Christian who'd just gotten away from God. Super generous. Listen, Elvis would go buy a car, and if he saw people in the, 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 the car lot shopping, he might buy them cars. I don't know about you. I'd stayed at his house, and when Elvis pulled in a car lot, phew, that's when I'm going to the car lot. But he was super generous, and, and he had women. He had fame. He had everything, but yet... He couldn't sleep at night. He had to take strong pills to go to sleep, and he had to take strong pills to wake up in the morning. And at 42 years of age, he died, and a large part of that had to do with the stress and the strain psychologically that he had put on himself. See, folks, contentment we're going to see is possible, but it's not going to be found in everything that the world is selling you. So let's answer this question. Where is real contentment found? How do I find that satisfaction in my heart? 
You can't be joyful. We've talked about joy. You can't be happy if you don't have that peace and that contentment in your heart. Let me share with you where it's found. Number one, in a real relationship with Christ. Now, why did I say real? Because a lot of people don't have a real relationship with Christ. I mean, you know about Jesus. You've been baptized. You've been sprinkled. You, you've, you've been indoctrinated a little bit, but you don't have a real relation. Listen to what Paul says in verse 11. Not that I was ever in need, for I have learned how to be content with whatever I had. You see the word learn there? He says, I have come to understand this through experience. Folks, contentment is not natural. It is not our natural state to be content. Do you get that? You've got to learn it. You've got to earn it. You've got to come to understand it. And he says, in whatever state I am in, verse 12, he says, I know how to live on almost nothing. I know how to live with everything. I've learned the secret of living in every situation, whether it's with a full stomach or empty, with plenty or little. A full stomach's a picture of a fatted calf, of a, of a calf out in the pasture ready to go to the butcher shop. And when he says, I've learned the secret about living with little, he's talking about, I, I've lived as a working class poor man. I know what it's like to be poor and to have nothing and yet to be satisfied. No, folks, one of the key words in here, a key phrase is in verse 12, where he says, I have learned the secret. Do you see that? If you're taking notes, you need to write this down. Learn the secret. That literally means to be initiated into something. In Paul's day, 2,000 years ago, that meant to be initiated into a secret society. We might say to be initiated into the Masons or into a fraternity or a sorority. Here's what, this is so cool. Here's what Paul's saying. He's saying, listen, I tried to find contentment in money and religion and being good and fighting Christianity. I tried to find it in all those things. But when I got initiated into Jesus Christ, that's where I found contentment. Isn't that a cool thing? And, and folks, being initiated into Jesus is not some secret society you can't be a part of. You can get initiated into Jesus Christ. When you bow your heart to him, when you surrender your life to him, you can be initiated into Jesus Christ. You see, the contentment or the sufficiency here is not in yourself. The Stoic philosophers of Paul's day said, listen, we don't need anything. We don't need People, money, anything outwardly to be content, we find it in ourselves. Here's the only problem is that you won't find contentment in yourself when you're in the ICU unit or when someone you love's in the ICU unit. You need something else. Paul said, look, I found sufficiency, but it is in Jesus Christ. Merle Haggard died this year. Merle Haggard was a famous country singer. Listen to what Merle Haggard said shortly before his death. Now, before I tell you what he said, Keep this in mind. He had 38 albums that appeared on the Billboard Country's music top 10. More than a dozen albums made it to number one. He had 31 number one singles. He also had five wives. He spent time in San Quentin prison. He described himself, he said, there's a restlessness, a lack of contentment in my soul that I've never conquered. Not with motion, not with marriages, not with meaning. And it's still there. I guess it'll be there till I die. You know, I hope somebody got to tell Merle Haggard, Merle, it doesn't have to be there. It's found in a relationship with Jesus Christ. It's there for you in Jesus Christ. Now, let me give you the second part of this. You got to maintain this with strong fellowship with Christ. What does that mean? 
It means that some of you who are Christians aren't content today. You really have Christ, but you're not walking with Christ anymore. Listen, having a relationship with Jesus is like having a relationship with a a friend or a spouse or your parent or your brother and sister. You can be in, you can be relationship related to them, but you can be not talking, not good. You need to maintain that closeness. Paul, listen, Paul, Paul's striving in his life was to continue to follow Christ. Look in verse nine, what it says: Keep putting into practice all you've learned and received from me, everything you've heard from me and saw me doing. Then the God of peace will be with you. Man, keep keep yourself. Under Christ, keep living and staying close to Christ. Number three, keep a right mindset. Listen, being content is found in Christ, staying close to Christ, but you've got to keep your thoughts and your mind in the right direction. Remember verse 8 we looked at a few weeks ago. Finally, brothers and sisters, one final thing. Fix your thoughts on true, honorable, right, pure, lovely, admirable. Anything's excellent or praiseworthy, think on these things. Listen, you can't be content and be negative at the same time. You've got to develop a positive mindset. You can't be content thinking, boy, if I just had this, if I just had that, I'll be satisfied. Philip Yancey's a Christian writer, and in one of his books, he tells a, a, a neat story of a friend. Now, this isn't neat, but his friend had a nervous breakdown. And so one of the things that they decided is that he would go to a monastery for a few months. Now, listen, let me encourage you. Going to a monastery would be good, but count the cost before you go. (laughs) Because they're going to ask for your cell phone, your laptop, your iPad, and you're not going to go to and have a big screen TV and watch CNN, Fox, and ESPN all day. You have nothing, basically. And so when they walked into his room... One of the monks who who was with him told him this. He goes, listen, if you need anything, call us, and then we'll come and show you how to live without it. (laughs) Not if you need it, we'll get it for you. If you need it, call us, and we'll help you learn to live without it. Folks, I want to tell you, contentment comes with understanding that nothing out there is going to do it. No matter how big or small your house is, no matter how much money you have, how many toys you have, It's found in Jesus and staying close to Jesus. And lastly, do your best in life. See, some of us aren't satisfied as Christians. We're not satisfied uh, in in our athletics or our academics or in our careers because we're just slackers. We're sweet Christian slackers. (laughs) I love Colossians 3.23. It says, work willingly Whatever you do, as though you're working for the Lord rather than for people. Some other translations basically say, man, do whatever you're doing with all your heart. If, if, if being a B student is your best, be the best B student you can be. If, if being second string is the best you can be, be the best you can be. John Wooden is arguably one of the greatest coaches of all times. He coached at UCLA, won 10 national championships in 12 years. He was asked one time, he said, what is success? And he said, success is contentment. It's being content. It's being satisfied and at peace. And they said, well, coach, how do you find contentment? And John Wooden said, when you can lay down at night at the end of the day, and John Wooden was a Christian, and be squared up with God and others, and you can say that I've done my very best today, that is success, and that is contentment. Amen to that. Do your best. Billy Graham, Billy Graham, the great Billy Graham, years ago, he and his wife were on an island in the Caribbeans. 
one of the wealthiest men in the world had a home on that island. And he invited Dr. Graham and Ruth to come to dinner. As they ate, the man opened up and he said, you know, I'm one of the wealthiest people in the world and I'm one of the most miserable people in the world. They looked out and he said, Billy, he goes, look, look at my jets. Look at my helicopters. See my yacht down there? He said, Billy, I can go anywhere I want to go. I can do anything I want to do at almost any time I want to do it. But yet I'm one of the most miserable people in the world. Billy Graham said they talked late into the evening trying to help him come to Christ. He didn't that night. Hopefully he did. But he said, ironically, the very next day, a pastor who lived on that same island came to visit them. The pastor, too, was 75. Pastored a small church. He was a widower. His wife had recently died. He made very little money. And he was also caring for his two invalid sisters. But as he left, he told Billy Graham, he goes, you know what? I think I may be the happiest and most content man in the world. Who do you think was getting it? So here's what I want to ask you. If it's possible to be content, will you choose that for yourself? Let's pray. This morning, if you're a Christian, I pray that you'll do whatever you need to do to open up the Christ in your life again. If you're not a Christian and you're ready today to give your life to Christ, I want you to pray with me if you're ready to do this. Just say, Jesus, I'm a sinner. And I want to repent of my sins. Jesus, I believe you're God's son and that you died and arose for me. Come into my heart. And I surrender my life to you. Let me have your attention just for a second. We're going to stand. Here's what I want you to do. Maybe you just prayed and asked Christ in your heart or you're ready to do it. Folks, that's the first step to finding the life that you want is entering that relationship with Christ. When we stand, I know it's hard, but you come today. Talk to a minister. Let one of us help you. If you don't want to do that, catch one of us after church. Let us help you cross that line with Christ today. Maybe you're here today and you'd like to join our church. We would love for you to do it. You can join after church or you can come right now when we stand. You need a church family to help you. You really do. Is on this contentment Christ journey. Come and join us today. You're a Christian. Some of you are really content. You're, you're in your sweet spot in life. Stay there. Others of you, you do know Christ. You're not living like you know Christ. And you're, you're dissatisfied. Quit trying to scratch that itch with everything else. And get back right with Christ today. Where you're standing or down here at the altar. We'll be waiting on you. Let's stand. You come now as we sing.